Seaflow, that's S-E-A-F-L-O-W, on the web at seaflow.org or phone 415-454-4443. That's seaflow.org or phone 415-454-4443. Living Writers. My name is T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, I am so lucky to have Michael Wiegers and Michael Dickman. Um, welcome, Michaels. <laughs> um, thank you for having us. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for being here. It's great to see you guys. This this uh, show is actually pre-taped. Um, Michael Wiegers has flown in from Port Townsend, Washington, for the Carlport. Uh, writing in public conference um, and uh, Michael Dickman you may remember has been on the show uh, the summer and uh, poet extraordinaire here in <laughs> here in a very our very own Ann Arbor <laughs> and uh, and they're here today <laughs> now I feel like switching into that Prince song here today to get through this thing called life <laughs> electric word life okay anyway enough about uh, me rambling on. Um, Michael Wiegers, uh, as I said, comes from uh, Washington, and uh, he is the the editor uh, in chief and executive director. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say of Copper Executive King? editor will e- do. Executive. Okay. I'm not very <laughs> good at directing. So. <laughs> you don't need twenty titles after your name, right? No. Um, Michael Wiegers uh, uh, is the executive editor for Copper Canyon Press, um, and we heard the great news from Michael in August that. You'll be publishing Michael's first book, uh, right, Michael Wiegers? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. No, it, and it's a it's a thrill to to be publishing the book. It's it's a, a wonderful collection. And um, how, what's what's the title of the book going to be? Uh, as is, right now, the title is "The End of the West." The end of the West. That's right. And that would be <clears throat> the longest poem in the book. Yeah, currently that's as the well. title poem right now. It's a twenty-page poem. Yes, I've, I've been lucky enough to read that poem. Um, so, is it under discussion though? Because you sort of looked at each other for the radio world, for the listeners. It's not uh, for me, maybe. No, okay. I was like, <laughs> no, I, it, <coughs> maybe it is for him. It, no, that's uh, that'll be the that'll be the name of the book. That'll be it. Okay. Yeah. And when when will the book be coming out? It'll be coming out in the spring of two thousand and nine. Okay. And and how many books will be coming out? that year from Copper Canyon. Uh, we're, I haven't counted recently, but generally we're doing 18 to 20 books a year. And That's so, a great number. Yeah, that's that's a good number. It's a keeping you busy. All yeah. um, so maybe roughly five, five per quarter. Uh, yeah, we, we do it in two seasons in a year. And so um, nine to 10 uh, will be, nine to 10 books will be coming out around the in the same six-month period as Michael's book. What what is happening at Copper Canyon these days? Can you give us a little little rundown on the press? And oh my gosh, we've got uh, quite a, a year ahead of us. Um, right now, we just shipped um, 
another first book by a Belarusian poet, Valgina Mort, in translations by uh, Franz and Elizabeth Wright. Um, Franz Wright, of course, Pulitzer Prize-winning poet. Um, and coming down the, the pike, we've got uh, a new and selected collection of uh, Ruth Stone's poems, uh, a terrific new book by C.D. Wright, Rising, Falling, Hovering. Um, they have a new collection by William Merwin, um, W.S. Merwin, yeah, called The Shadow of Sirius. Uh, three of his poems were just in The New Yorker this past week uh, from that collection. Um, a new Jim Harrison book, and then all these, and, and then a bunch of younger poets as well. So we've got some of the more established poets um, like Jim and William and C.D., but um, we also have Michael's book, uh, first book by Ed Skoog, second books, uh, as I mentioned, Brenda Shaughnessy, Lisa Olstein, um, and, oh gosh, who else? Mark Bibbins. Is that mm-hmm. intentional to have this balance of having the... And, because let's define, can we define <clears throat> younger poets? Because Michael yeah. Dickman here is, is, would it mean first book poets when you're talking or literally well, yeah I mean I, I like to lads. I, I, <laughs> like, um, I like to mix it up um, I I think that if Copper Canyon's uh, to survive another 35 years we're celebrating our 35th anniversary oh, congratulations then we, then we have to um, make it new and we can't um, uh, we can't publish just you know the the known and established poets. We have to publish for an audience that's just starting to read poetry seriously. Um, so that's one way of looking at it. Um, and to but, start new relationships. Yeah. Isn't that part of the mission, Michael? Yeah. Is that something yeah. you brought to Copper Canyon? Well, no, I think you... it's always been part yeah. uh, part of the press. But um, I, I was saying this morning at the conference, at the Port Conference, um, I love the fact that People like W.S. Merwin or Jim Harrison, people poets who can take their work just about anywhere and have it published, have chosen Copper Canyon. So I get a thrill out of publishing, um, publishing them. It's a great boot and boost to our egos. Um, but um, I think I prefer, or not prefer, I I really enjoy publishing poets who haven't had a long career in publishing, because I think we do it well there and and it's and and we as a staff at the press feed off the energy that they bring and the questions that they ask and why do you do it this way why um you know why you know why is your copy editor asking for this what's this funny little sheet of paper you're giving me um i just <laughs> has, i like has I lo- michael dickman been asking these not, kind of no, questions no, no. yet he'll, or he'll get there he'll get there but <laughs> okay. and i think the the learning component um, is something that we really enjoy there. So um, through our volunteer uh, programs, our internship programs, uh, to taking on uh, poets who have not published before or who have had a different publishing experience um, is something that we all feed on, being and, able and to like, kind of teach that. Oh, I'm so, okay. And so and a poet that has had a different publishing experience, like that that could be like Chris Abani, for example. Right, or... Right. or or you know, I mentioned Merwin. Merwin, you know, yeah. for you know, how many books has he published now? Something like eighty, and the majority of them being from large houses. And um, but what happened over the course of many years 
his books were going out of print because because of um, issues regarding tax law, um, changes in pub- in the publishing world, and his books were slipping out of print. We we ended up um, reissuing them and bringing them back into print, and so um, you get um, you know, poets like that who come come to the press because they can. Uh, know that their work's going to be st- sustained out there in the world. And you, it's a commitment and, and, to keep the books right, in print right, with all their books, right. yes. So. Um, I think the first time, Michael, when I uh, first saw you was mm-hmm. at Richard Hugo House, maybe in mm-hmm. 2002 or 2003, mm-hmm. and uh, it just strikes me that you're sort of this um, an, Im- an ambassador of poems, in mm-hmm. a way, in America. <laughs> well, well, um, mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I, I think that um, what 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 I um, hope to do as as a publisher, I think really, if I'm doing my job well, I'll disappear. Um, my, what do you mean by that? Um, I I think the um, what what I'm trying to do is put readers together with writers, so uh, the the poetry audience together with the poet. And so anything that I do that gets that interferes with that transfer of the poet's voice to the reader's ear, um, that feels like I'm not doing my job. So if there are errors in the book, that seems like an interference uh, between uh, between the reader and the and the poet. If um, the book is poorly designed and somebody's not going to want to to pick it up as a result, then I'm getting in the the way. Mm. of um of the the that transfer uh that that gift of the that the poet gives to the audience and so i think in many ways i should disappear and um well i'm not saying that you're like creating a cult of personality around you (laughs) (laughs) traveling the nation on behalf of poems and but it's but it seems like you're a voice out there that um a welcome voice and, Mm and 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 um and I don't know from your from your early life, like how um, earlier in August we, we sort of heard some of Michael Dickman's backstory. So that's why I'm sort of now <laughs> going towards yours, if you don't right. mind, is because it seems like my impression is that um, poems infuse your daily life on a level <laughs> that um, maybe only uh, kind of manically practicing poets uh, experience in a way uh, because you're just. Uh, always in it mm-hmm. with the poems mm-hmm. and um so when did that start for you if that's true oh it, it's it started you know back in high school reading poems and uh, so you even loved right, poems in high school because yes. a lot of people are alienated yeah. in high school from yeah and i not michael dickman i, I think though, i think <laughs> i had some i had some good teachers who um taught me that literature just wasn't just a, a staid uh form and that poetry wasn't um just memorization or there 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 were many ways to to approach it and and so i've um i think i first caught on to it when i was a teen and then going through college um i i you know loved poetry and even wrote it at a certain point and um you know, there's that quote by T.S. Eliot that uh, editors are really just failed writers, and and um, yeah. What and, is your response to that? Give well, something. well, I, um, I, I would, um, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I would admit that I'm, um, 
I'm too lazy to be a writer. It's a it's um, it's hard work to be a writer, and um, and so I, um, I I think I learned pretty early on that what I enjoyed was the reading of it. Uh, I enjoyed the reading of poetry uh, more than the making of it. I enjoyed being. Um, you know, part of the audience and then telling other people about it, uh, what I was engaging in and telling people about what I was reading. And that was more exciting to me than talking about myself or, you know, or what have you. And I think because I, a lot of the poems maybe at that, like at that time were, were more confessional. The... And that's, I think what I was being exposed to. And, um, and you know, I just, I like being engaged, uh, with, uh, the community of ideas that are out there in poems. Um, well, and you, and yeah, and you, you're doing, well, um, uh, um, let's see, I think we're going to take a, a short break, um, and then we'll be right back with Michael Wiegers from Copper Canyon Press and poet Michael Dickman. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Living Writers, and today in the studio, Michael Wiegers and Michael Dickman. Uh, maybe I'll be referring to Michael Wiegers as Captain and Michael Dickman as Colonel <laughs> as the show progresses. <laughs> anyway, Ann Arbor, this is this is Living Writers. Um, Can I be private? <laughs> private. <laughs> private Wiegers. <laughs> the modesty. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're kind of like in the last, uh, at the beginning of the program, we were talking about how Michael's, uh, first book of poems will be coming out with Copper Canyon spring of 2009. And, uh, and, and also, um, uh, sort of the the level of commitment that that you have in in, in the the object itself, mm-hmm. and Michael, just to go go back a little bit, when you were here in August, mm-hmm. you were talking about how the book as as an aesthetic object is really was is really important for you. Could you speak about that for people who didn't get a chance to listen to that show? And that's why going with Copper Canyon was sure. There's a uh, um, there's something about. Uh a book that is it, that has always been for me uh, in my reading life as a kid and then also as a writer as an a, adult that the book the physical thing itself has been Im- important to me and uh and I've always been um 
amazed and uh you know interested in books that were beautiful and not in the sense of like mean by beauty yeah Yeah, not not in the sense of like you can judge a book by its cover but there are you know um it's these days more and more uh, a lost art a well-made book um for good or for bad more and more things are going onto the web and Mm -hmm. and things like that and um uh so it's hard sometimes to find um a book that is uh, made well, and um, I mean, this sounds maybe shallow or something, but uh, always, uh, <laughs> in my experience, uh, the books that Copper Canyon uh, makes are uh, gorgeous, beautiful um, books, and uh, and filled with even more gorgeous and beautiful things. So, so I can only imagine it was a thrill to to have. How how did you guys find each other? How did that happen? Uh, the Michaels are the, looking at each other. <laughs> uh, I think at some point I, I had a manuscript uh, together that um, I wasn't uh, embarrassed to send out and to show people. And um, a friend and mentor of mine, as far as I can tell, uh, sent Michael a poem. Uh, I had sent this person a poem, and he forwarded the poem to Michael mm-hmm. and mentioned that I had a a manuscript. Okay. <clears throat> and, and this Michael, is and this is what you sort of you told us in August right. too. Yeah. And so what was what's your side of it? So you received this poem, uh, Michael uh, Captain. So, uh, <laughs> private. Private. <laughs> um, private. So I, I received the received the poem and read it and liked it and um and Oh, you gotta say more than that, oh, otherwise it's like no brainer, Hetzel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well and um I, I will say more, <laughs> given liberty. Um, <laughs> so, I I I can't remember if I called or wrote or I can't remember exactly how it transpired and invited Michael to send a full manuscript. And what um, what happens? Oftentimes, I I have a couple of people who help me read and who I trust. Uh, their opinions as readers and uh, their astute critics. And at the time, we had um, an intern uh, who had uh, come to Port Townsend, Washington from uh, Durban, South Africa. And I loved her readings uh, of the books because she was she's an incredibly intelligent reader, but also she... Um, she doesn't come with some of the the political baggage. She doesn't know who's who in the world of American poetry and who's connected uh, uh, to whom. And and so her reading was um, very enthusiastic of of Michael's uh, work. Mm-hmm. And after she came into the office with uh, the manuscript, having read it, I was kind of teasing out of her what uh, the experience was, and and she said, well. I feel like I was just hit by a bus, but in a good way. <laughs> and I said, like, "Okay, I've got to read this." And and having read the the first the the first uh, that that one poem, I you know, launched into it and fell in love with the the book and thought that it was unlike anything that that I had read in quite some time. And, and it, but it and and felt right, like something right, and that, particularly that's what you're driven by, isn't it? Particularly sort of... with with first books, where you you know somebody doesn't have. Uh, an established record. You're, you're taking a big chance as a publisher. Where I'm asking uh, a staff to fall in love with with someone the way I have, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's like you know, uh, 
you know, bringing your partner home to meet the parents in certain ways. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hope the rest of them uh, like this as much as I do. Um, and, and so uh, I, I took the plunge, and um, I think I called Michael and said, you know, I'd love to publish your book. And, and maybe, and, and in a way, maybe start, this is the beginning of a, a relationship mm-hmm. with his his work well perhaps. yeah when, when whenever whenever i take on um whenever i take on somebody's work i'm looking you know not just at this book i'm looking down the road i'm looking at other um other manuscripts that doesn't mean to say that i'm going to rubber stamp everything but i hope to work with that author and say okay this one's not quite doing it uh, you know crafting the next book what have you um but i also i'm i'm a fairly hands-off editor let and i trust the the poet to to know what they're doing um but certainly i'm i i don't look at his work as a one-off occurrence well let's hear some of it then would you mind um sure. michael no, colonel sure. uh yeah um uh i brought uh two poems i'll read one of them it's uh this poem is called from the lives of my friends what were the birds called in that neighborhood the dogs They were dogs, flying from branch to branch. My friends and I climbed up the telephone poles to sit on the power lines, dressed like crows. Their voices sounded like lemons. They were a smooth sheet. They grew black feathers. Not frightening at all, but beautiful, shiny, and full of promise. What kind of light is that? The lives of my friends spend all of their time dying and coming back and dying and coming back. They take a break in summer to mow the piss-yellow lawns, blazing front and back. There is no break in winter. When I'm done mowing, I fall in love with the sisters of my friends. All that yellow hair, their arms blazing. They lick their fingers to wipe my face clean of everything, and I am glad. I am glad. I am so glad. We will all be shipped in an ice box with the one word oysters painted on the outside, left alone for once. None of my friends wrote novels or plays. From the lives of my friends came their lives. Here's what we did. We played in the yard outside after dinner, and then we were shipped away. That was fast. Stuffed with lemons. Thank you, Michael. Oh, thank that was you. Really, that was. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for what? I'm just, I'm just sitting here, like, oh, that, have you heard this poem? I've not private. heard this poem. <laughs> I've not heard this poem before. But I should mention also that as part of my decision making, um, before I I knew who he was or what the work was like, I wanted. I'm, I think I mentioned earlier that I want. I like to get. Uh, the poet's uh, voice in my ear, and so I went online li- and I found uh, some of him him reading his poems on Fish House. Fish House, right? And yes. uh, and and I immediately had that voice and carried me through the book. And um, I love the way he reads the poems, and it's um, yeah. So that was part of the process, also. You know, how good is when when I take on a book i want to know how good a poet is at reading their poems as well uh, there's some there's some poets who frankly i 
I want to have my shepherd's crook and pull him off stage. (laughs) 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 You're killing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I won't mention names. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's take a short break just (laughs) so so we're not too tempted. And we'll be right back. You're listening to The Living Writers, uh, and it's uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us um, today on Living Writers, uh, I'm lucky to have uh, Michael Dickman, poet, and Michael Wiegers, editor extraordinaire. Um, and thanks to Alex Bellhodge for uh, jumping in and being the, the intrepid engineer um, for the program. Um, so we just heard a poem of Michael's, and we're talking about how voice, the, the actual literal <laughs> voice, from the the voice pipes are coming out. That's important to you, uh, Michael Wiegers, when you're when you're imagining the life of a of a poet. Um, Absolutely. Um, has there has there ever been someone that you've um, not had that experience where you haven't heard their 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 voice and then you've just oh yeah yeah uh, a lot there have been uh, several times we we used to conduct a contest um an annual contest with a reading fee the whole nine yards and um in that you're getting 1200 anonymous submissions that you go through and you've never heard you don't know who they are you don't know their names uh, much less their their voices so um and and then after you publish their book and you uh, and they're out on tour then you start hearing what they sound like and um so that was sort of an experiment in seeing how that worked for you then, like the people that were chosen. I mean, I'd imagine then some of them you thought, well, I had no yeah. idea. Well, and <laughs> and, I, and I, I, think, I think that every, you know, every, every poet, not, not every poet has to be a great performer uh, for me to enjoy their poetry. I do like to get their voice in my ear. I do like to hear how they're playing with the lines um, and, and 
just to hear how they have a command over over their work and um, if how how considered it is measured to the voice and so so that's something that i that i like to have uh, that's one of the arrows i like to have in my quiver in terms of talking about a particular book but again there are poets who i love who who i don't like to hear them read it um i want um i want to hear somebody else read it uh you want to hear William Defoe yeah. reading? No, right, right. Yeah. Or James Earl Jones. Oh, right. You know? oh, right. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I just think, you know, okay, sometimes I wonder what would John Ashbery's poems sound like if read by oh. James Earl Jones? Right. Um, right. And, yeah, you know, but I've heard John Ashbery read them, so I know <laughs> what his poems sound like read by John Ashbery. Right. So. right. Well, what, what do you think, um, my Colonel Michael Dickman? Um, what do you, with the, the reading of poems, uh, I, f- I feel like you're almost a case study here. We've got, we're talking yeah, about. You know, there's uh, people, uh, especially uh, maybe poets or people who go to poetry readings, talk a lot about how there's a sort of poet voice, this mm-hmm. kind of like poet voice. And, uh, and you don't and that's that seems unfortunate uh because one thing that happens is that i mean just from a performance um or just a not even if you're performing but just reading in public it can take away from what is on the page it can take away from any power that you have in in the in the poem that's one thing but then the other thing um that maybe has to do with fastening the poem down onto the page and also what is your actual voice um that also is important um to people it's important to me i try to and it's the radio so you can't see it but my line breaks and spaces and things on the page i try to have um uh space like there's well and and it matches how i I try to get it down how I hear it in my head. And so my hope is that if I give you a poem today, T, and you take it home, that if you read it out loud, it actually wouldn't be far off from if I read it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it also just, and also I, I read things, I read drafts out loud all, all day long when I'm writing. And, and, um, um, and uh, I don't mean to put myself in this kind of, uh, rarefied company but uh um there's a great interview um with uh frank bedart in the back of a collection of poems of his called in the western night where he talks a lot about trying to get a voice down on on the page and he has a very amazing and uh kind of wild uh voice and uh doing that through line break rhythm meter and for him punctuation and and i if i can just interject i think that when when i'm looking at a page I'm looking at it as I might sheet music and I want I want the instructions all there before me as as a reader how am I going to play this poem and so when I went and listened to Michael reading uh, his work at Fish House he was playing the notes right uh, and how I was hearing the music and and so that's you know exactly what I think he's saying is that, you know, he plays with and makes certain that, wait, is the voice going to be saying, saying this, you know, is it an extended line or is it uh, a condensed line? Mm. Yeah. And not afraid to use the space, Mm -hmm. like just to take up the space for these, these, these moments or pieces. Right. It's also something depending on the kind of 
<clears throat> poem it is that is, is something that I think of only poetry being able to do versus prose where you have paragraphs and that's you know what you're working with but in poetry there is this there's music within the line and then there's you know there are words so it's a literary thing but then also um and again depending on who's doing it if you're looking at the page there's also almost can be a um a painterly kind of aspect to it which is something that um some people do that i really like uh this woman I'll mispronounce her last name, Patricia Godick. Gedicky. Gedicky. Um, she does this. Um, she has a, a couple of beautiful books published by Copper Canyon, and um, they're uh, stunning to even just stare at the pages, let alone read the the poems. The, it, it can go too far. Because what has she created? Like, is there a way you can describe it? Because I haven't she seen. Uses, I don't remember she seeing. She uses the, the whole page um, for a lot of her poems, and uh, and it goes sort of all over the page um, in a way that isn't distracting uh, at all it can go in the it can go too far in one direction where you're looking at something where that's it's unreadable and uh, <laughs> you know that which is too bad because you want to read the the poem but. right right well and there I don't know if you had heard uh, in the past week or so there was uh, a whole piece that I heard on uh, NPR, um, the competition um, <laughs> 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 uh, about E. Cummings and his paintings and talking about how um, he was a painter. And so when he would write, he also brought a painterly sense of composition to how the words were going to appear on the page. So there was that visual element as well. Um, and you, know, you um, I, I think of it kind of in terms of uh, Piet Mondrian's uh, New York Boogie Woogie, you know, the famous painting where it's it's just blocks of uh, paint colors. And and he was listening to, uh, I think, Charlie Parker while painting, painting this. And so you've got this movement on the canvas and you can create that also, I think, on the page with words. So the first the first um, response you might have is this is kind of moving all over bebopping all over the page and and it might even change the actual shape of the book mm -hmm. right because you wouldn't mm -hmm. be adverse to that michael would you mm -hmm. like having a, a book that would be a, di a different like a longer shaped book or or what's yeah i there are limitations to it uh, this is my presses. best question right yeah. <laughs> a book that's six feet long yeah you were right i was gonna say if a poet comes six to me and says high. i want i want you to publish my scroll i'm going to <laughs> well there is an eastern tradition right. at copper canyon right. so maybe so, you could do it as a broadside yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. so print one of them yeah. Right. So, or we could put it on toilet paper. So. Oh no! <laughs> Who said this had to be highbrow? That's right. <laughs> and well, it's interesting because I, I almost feel like I'm um, really lucky to be sitting in on like this is almost part of a discussion of how your minds will work as you're talking about this artifact that you'll create. Well, well you're bringing, <laughs> you're bringing your work, and then you're adding to the creation mm -hmm. in a way, right? Mm -hmm. With this, um, as a. Sorry, I forget the gestures are of no use over radio, but... Um, <laughs> those are, for those listening at home, great gestures <laughs> yeah. are happening right now. <laughs> um, and, Did she uh, just poke you in the eyes? That's right. <laughs> Got to keep you all in line somehow. <laughs> it's kidding. Yeah, we're a little punchy because it's it's a kind of late night radio right, for us. Well, for mm. me. But, um, but anyway, um, so would... 
do you have set ideas for your cover, um, um, oh. Michael Dickman? <laughs> or is this not good to broach? Uh, is this... It's funny okay, you we'll should. Duke it out it's, here. Fun, it's funny you should mention that to you. Well, Michael Biggers, uh, don't tell uh, me you've done your own cover. <laughs> uh, I actually have a cover here in my back pocket. Uh, I don't. You know, there are there are, are are covers. There are types of covers that I I'm really drawn to. I don't have a. Um, You'll hear a lot of people uh, talk about how they have an image or something that is very important to them that they want on it, and I don't really that, have that for that book itself. Exactly, like yeah. what's in it. I yeah. don't really have a, a. There's not a painter that I think, oh, I really want a Jasper Johns painting on the cover. I want this, and I, I'd like that. But there are, of course, like I have sort of general aesthetic ideas about things that I I know that I like and that I think are you know, good looking and make me want to take something home and, uh, yes. you know, yeah, and so no. there are things Pick like that, but I don't, but I don't have a, a, um, luckily a couple of my friends are having first books come out in the next year and, uh, and they all have very, very, uh, clear ideas about the exact thing that they want on the, on the cover. And I don't actually. I don't so, have that. So what will happen, um, private Uyghurs, <laughs> now? Actually, if, if, I want to change to captain. Captain, we'll go back to captain. Oh, captain, captain, my captain. Captain, my captain. Um, so what will happen is we will start um, going through, we will start going through um, our list of ideas. What are some images that we want to take out of the book? And and I try not to come, I, I try to avoid anything that might be a reductive image that will suggest oh. only one possible reading of a book right. or might be you know, tied to the title um, of the book. I, I usually like to have... So you're not going to have like cowboys? No, 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 no. no. Um, oh, gosh, you know, uh, I, I'm afraid I didn't bring it with me, but uh, I was, uh, I meant to. I left it on my desk back at the office. But if you look at... Uh, Copper Canyon, the first book that we ever published, um, it's charming in its way. It was called Badlands, and you know, right there on the cover, it, it has uh, a saguaro cactus and um, you know a spade club diamond and, <laughs> and heart, and it's just it, it's it's terrible. You don't want to be too you know, and it's conveying that whole Western right, sensibility. Right. Um but uh, but when he goes on tour we're going to ask him to wear chaps. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine because I, I own those. Right. So I don't have I believe to they're they're red, aren't they? They are red. <laughs> There's nothing non flashy about Michael. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so and when you say go on tour, like so is there do you have a plan? Um Michael no, Wiegers, gen, Captain. Uh, gen, gen, <laughs> generally, um, we we don't conduct tours. We're just too small of a staff. We don't have the budget. We encourage authors to um, get out on the hustings, and we try to help them uh, get some readings here and there as we can. Mm. Um, and so, whenever you publish a book, there's a certain amount of activity that takes place around that book, and so. When, so that'll you know, be pu happening. publishing has its root in in the public, uh, and we're making we're going to be making Michael more public, which means he'll be out in the world a little more. I would hope. Yes, and and he's been in the New Yorker this yeah, January. He's, he's going to be in there again. Really? Yeah. Oh, this news that you keep from me. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us more about it, Michael? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, no, it's been uh, very great. The editors of the New Yorker. Um, 
have been wonderful and uh, published. Uh, they took two poems of mine. One came out in January called Seeing Whales, and, uh, and they just took uh, another one. Um, which is great, uh, of course, and very lucky. Um, and actually, speaking of, of, of public and the public, the best thing actually that has come from these things is that some old friends of mine who I've been out of touch with for a while, I'm suddenly back in touch with um, very old, very dear friends of mine. So that's the, you know, that's what I think the what you should hope for from uh publishing things in magazines is that (laughs) old loved ones will call you again (laughs) they'll forget what you did and they'll call you and email you yeah and ask you when you're going to write a poem about them yeah and ask them if if if, you know are am i the whale (laughs) is often a a question (laughs) and you and you respond if i could count on you know on one my 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 response is do you like do you like the whale (laughs) (laughs) do you like the whale yes yes Yes, you you are. are Whale. Soul of the whale. <laughs> Indubitably. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations. That's really good Thanks. news. It's good. Yeah. Um, well, but but you were mentioning earlier, uh, Captain Uyghurs, that um, you've got big 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 swingers like mm-hmm. Jim Harrison, mm-hmm. and and a book of his is coming out. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jim Harrison put together something and and Michael went along with him? Oh, yeah, and that that's something that's part going back to your question before about uh, the balance of the list. I always want to um, I want to use the leverage of these more known uh, poets if you know, if we like and publish Jim Harrison um, then you know why do we like and publish Michael Dickman and so hopefully some of his cachet and his audience will drift over and uh, similarly you know, I look at somebody like Ben Lerner who we publish and he's a young poet and um, he is a huge fan of W.S. Merwin, and he thinks that more younger poets should be reading W.S. Merwin. So it works both ways. So those who might come to um, to Copper Canyon Press by way of a younger poet like Ben can then also be turned on to a Jim Harrison, to uh, W.S. Merwin, or you know, some of the heavy hitters. Yeah, and, you, and you're also um, publishing the prose poems that Merwin um wrote a while ago is right. that book out yeah that Michael, book is out yeah, the book of is. fables oh, okay yes because that yeah I, th- I think that would appeal to a lot of young but the people yeah. should know it's an amazing yeah, and, book yeah and, yes. and i i already know um <laughs> here, here. there's um there's a young poet uh craig morgan teicher uh who's out in new york and his next book which is coming out with boa editions is entirely inspired by um, by the book of fables and he's calling the form that he's writing in fables as a result of this and so and you brought it back into print and we brought it back into copper print. canyon press we'll be right back we're going to take a short break uh you're listening to wcbn fm ann arbor Grand. <laughs> Ghost in my house 
Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today, uh, the conversation is with Michael Wiegers and Michael Dickman. Um, Michael Wiegers, hearkening from Copper Canyon Press. Michael Dickman, Ann Arbor, soon to be published by Copper Canyon. Um, <laughs> there's my radio voice. It's <laughs> very nice. Um, <laughs> let, uh, will you read us another poem, Michael? Sure, yeah. Uh, this poem is called Shaving Your Father's Face. First I get a father from some city of fathers, one with a neck, bright red, and with all the tiny bird bones in my fingers, carefully tip his chin back into the light like love, so I can see, so I can smell. I tell a dirty joke, then drag the steel across the universe. There's nothing better than shaving your father's face, except maybe shaving your mother's legs. My bedside manner is impeccable. The white foam stays white. In the evening, his face attracts moths and women, sons, daughters. His chin is made out of Christmas lights. I have to shave the moths and family off. It takes forever. The wings get all over your fingers. I like to use Mercur Super platinum-coated stainless steel. I could thread a needle with it. I could hardly feel it. Rust-free, roast-free, made in Germany, so it will last and last. Shaving my father's face, I'm not shaving my face. I'm shaving my brain, lifting the gray folds to get at the pink parts. Stuffing toilet paper into all the tiny holes I cut so it looks like a field of red flags waving. Paper tulips. Love notes. The universe wants a close shave. It wants its hair high and tight. You could bounce a dime off dad's skin. My hand on your face, can you feel it? Thank you. Thank you. It's Michael. So that that one I haven't read. I haven't. That's to, is that new? Is that that's completely new, yeah. new? Okay, brand spanking new. Pretty new. I mean, you thanks know, for like, giving the scoop to living writers. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a you know six months new. <laughs> that's about as new as it gets. <laughs> how how is it? Um, like how long is sort of a a poem uh, on a, on average? Like kind of that almost like why ask the question if it's on average? But in the hopper for you, where it's sort of something. Because like, when we talked in August, mm -hmm. you said that you were actually revisiting a lot of the poems that, that you had sent sure, to yeah. Michael. So yeah. um, how long is a poem in the hopper when you... For, you know, something like the two things I read uh, today, th those have been around for about six months. And, uh, you know, they t you know it, it, it depends. I, I, I write really slowly, and, um, uh, which is fine because any way you do it is fine. Yes. And, uh, amen. Uh, amen to that. And uh, some people write very fast, and they write amazing, um, startling, beautiful things. And uh, um, But so for me, you know, uh, I can usually finish a draft of, of something, like on average, in about three months. And, uh, and then I can be fine enough with it, maybe, to not touch it for a while after I've worked on it for about six to... 12 months and it's not every day you know but it's just every you know you'll walk down the street and you'll think oh I, 
that's wrong. I have to go back and do this. Or you have a, you wake up in the, you know, in the night and think, oh, I have to write this down and put it in the poem. And thus it comes into being. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that in a deeper voice, huh? That would have been awesome. That would have been so voice, much yeah. better. And thus it comes into being. being. <laughs> in stereo. But, that, but that's about, for me, that's about what it takes, uh, you know, time-wise, about that long. Okay. Well, so... Um, a, a Captain Uyghurs, then that that's actually probably, then you'll think, okay, now I can plan for when we're going to have yeah. Michael's next book coming. I can kind of roughly yeah. um, kind of look. Um, you you came to Copper Canyon. Uh, you're, you're not a native Washingtonian. No. Uh, tell us a little bit about, because uh, you came from Coffee House, right? Yeah, right, from Coffee House Press in, in Minneapolis. And I, uh, I was a bookseller for a number of years and started learning how to uh, handset metal type and uh, bind books by hand and learned about um, publishing first by working in bookstores and and um, when I was a bookseller in Minneapolis around that time there was an article um, that was published in The Nation which at that time talked about the publishing publishing industry being condensed into fewer and fewer hands and at that point I think there were 11 major um, publishing corporations, which controlled something like 90% of the books published in this country, which Mm. um, kind of um, encouraged me to look to alternatives. I'd be there in the bookstore opening uh, the boxes and seeing, um, you know, a, a box which is marked Random House, and suddenly here coming out of that box are books from Knopf and Pantheon and all these other publishers and realizing that it's one uh, centralized publishing house that's um, um, essentially controlling all of those books. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, theorist here, but, <laughs> but, but, I think, sort of but, I, but I think I, I, you know, it made me want other alternatives, uh, particularly considering that books by people like uh, W.S. Merwin were going out of print with some of these um, same houses. Um, so so I started um, learning how to handset type and uh, make books by hand and uh, had some, some great teachers in that way. And then I got a, uh, a job, an editorial job at Coffee House Press and um, learned from Alan Kornblum um, you know, about the art of publishing. And uh, after several years there, then uh, was offered a job at, at Copper Canyon and have been there for about 15 years. And that was by Sam Hamill, uh, who offered the job? Did well, it was the, the board of directors. You? No, the oh, board okay. of directors, actually, um, at that time when I was offered the job, um, the the press had been, there were three people um, running the press, and that was uh, Sam Hamill, uh, Tree Swenson, who's now the director of the Academy of American Poets, and then Mary Jane Connect, who was uh, the managing editor. And she was, uh, she and I um, crossed paths uh, out at book festivals and what have you, and she became my champion and uh, really encouraged their board uh, to, to talk with me and um, so they brought me out for an interview, and it was one of those beautiful mm. Northwest uh, summer days when there uh, we do have a few of them. I shouldn't say this, mm-hmm. where there's sun in the sky, not clouds, and and 
uh, I was sold. You know, because Port Townsend is is an outpost, but I think yeah. it's 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 but it's incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly beautiful. It's um and it's within striking distance of Seattle, um so so I could get an urban fix if I need it, um but it's a small town. I have a um five minute walk to work across the grounds of of a state park and, and you see you know, deer and, and you see, <laughs> right yeah people don't don't understand you know it's like oh deer big deal <laughs> so, so and coyotes and you know, mm. what have you so. what but what i mean i'm wondering for you what's next then because it, like we said that there's a it feels like you have a stewardship now of mm-hmm. copper canyon because sam ha- hamill's stepped away mm-hmm. from the press mm-hmm. um and it's almost like you're a supreme court justice like you're appointed <laughs> right and you do have this value this mission mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. drives you mm-hmm. so do well, you stay there forever uh, <laughs> like, oh, i hope not i mean no. i i um you know one i never saw myself staying in a job as long as i've stayed um stayed at copper canyon um my I think I live a pretty charmed life there. But um, my hope is that there will be other people who came through the ranks the same way uh, that I did or in their own way. You know, I started out years ago as a volunteer reading manuscripts for Gray Wolf Press. Um, I would love to see somebody um, somebody younger come through and um, really have a passion for making books and um Eventually, you know, the press is going to have to go in yet another direction. Uh, the main, the, I, I was uh, a beneficiary of, uh, years ago, there were a couple of programs funded by the Lila Wallace Reader's Digest Foundation and the Mellon Foundation and the Lannan Foundations, and they really encouraged literary presses to look toward the long term, to look at sustaining these endeavors beyond um, the founders and, you know, to to basically teach a whole new generation of uh, editors and publishing uh, folk how to engage in the art of publishing uh, and literary publishing, nonprofit literary publishing. And fundraising, too, yeah. right? The grant yeah. writing. Well, that, that becomes part of it also. You've got to keep it going. And and we've I think that we've done that fairly successfully. And you look at some of the presses that are able to make um, more of an impact in places like um, like Grey Wolf or like Boa or like Coffee House or Copper Canyon, they've all gone through the same process. And you start looking, you, you focus on your mission rather than the personalities who are picking the books. And that's how I think you sustain an endeavor like this. So naturally, I think there ha- I have to um, really take some of the, the Buddhist uh, sensibilities that uh, were behind the press for so many years and uh, have less self and practice some detachment in that way. And um, and my hope is that we will continue as we have been having excellent er- interns pass through our, our, our doors and teach us something and, um, and maybe return uh, time and again. If you look at the staff right now, um, a majority of them came through as volunteers or because they wanted um, you know just to be a part of it and took lower level jobs um, that they're completely overqualified for but had a passion for the art of publishing and the art of poetry mm-hmm. and I and I have all the confidence in the world that there will be more people who come through our doors like that and we'll carry it forward thank goodness then yeah, yeah. yeah. and this so, belief in the yeah, yeah. Um, 
That's a, that's such a wonderful thing. It actually sort of makes me a bit speechless because I just want to say, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's Copper yeah. Canyon and uh, long live Copper Canyon. Yeah, um, uh, and um, yeah, I I mean, again, I never thought that I'd be there for for three years, much less fifteen. And it's uh, been fifteen. It's been fifteen years, and you know, when I consider that I've been in publishing for for um, you know twenty years, and yeah, now you know why I have so much gray. <laughs> and, uh, silver, right? Silver. silver. That's, silver. that's right. We had agreed oh. earlier with Silver Fox, right? That was <laughs> the <right>. idea. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and with uh, uh, what? So, what is next then, Michael? What do is you, next? Uh, um, well, I think one of the things that's uh, um, a little bit, um, well, more books, more poetry, doing it better, um, trying to improve upon what we're doing. Um, a little bit of excitement that's uh, coming down the pike uh, later this year uh, at the at the end uh, starting in 2009 we we are in the process of and this is going to sound completely awkward every time i say <laughs> it um we're acquiring Osable press which is a uh, small nonprofit poetry press out of upstate new york and um the they the, they, they publish laura kasichki right for right. example and they do they do beautiful books yes, and yeah. um but again it's been sustained on the energies of a Two couple people. of people, yeah. <laughs> and and that's that's something that can't be sustained. You can only um, live off the passion of some individuals for so long before you suffer burnout, and and so you have to be looking to the next generation, looking to how you're going to keep something going. And uh, so when Chase uh, approached me a couple of years ago, and we first started talking about it. It seemed like a good match. And frankly, I've been approached uh, by several presses in this. Will you guys take it over? And um, this one, because I, I really admired the list, this mm. one, I decided to go for it. And Chase Twitchell is one of the poets that published at right. Copper and Canyon. That, and that's, so there's that's, that relationship yeah, that's as well. part of how, how, um, how I... Um, I, I knew who I was dealing with, um, and, and I want to maintain that relationship. And also, I want her to write another book. <laughs> and, <laughs> At the and, time and, to do that, yeah, and, yeah, and that's that's why she wants to to um, to let go of it because her you know, publishing can be an all-consuming uh, profession, and so she wasn't getting as much of her writing done as she wanted. So, uh, and again, it's. The list, they have some great books. Laura's books, uh, James Richardson. They're, we, uh, and the press is an organism because you yeah. do you believe it has mm-hmm. a mission, but it becomes this mm-hmm. this this or yeah. this thing that. Um, well, thank goodness for that, though. That, yeah. I, know, I, I was, it's I don't know. It's like my fr- my Friday gratefulness is coming <laughs> through, or something. Thank goodness it's Friday, and thank right. goodness for you, Michael oh, Wiegers, you. and all those wonderful yeah. people at Copper Canyon Press. Have you been out there, Michael Dickman, yet to I take haven't. a look at no, the press? No, I want to. to uh, at some point, I will um, go out and bring a tent and camp out and check out the barn. So. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can stay on my futon. Oh, yes. Excellent. That's, so, that's what so I nice wanted. Nice how you wrangle that, that invitation. Hear. I guess I'll just sleep on the ground, Michael. <laughs> right. All these uh, poets with nice. their romantic lives. Um, are there any? Do you have you seen Jim Harrison recently, um, <laughs> Michael? I, any sort of Jim Harrison I, I story to send us off? I haven't seen Jim recently. I did get a. Uh, I just checked my email earlier today and got a new poem with him. Jim sends uh, one or two poems every week and. Um, 
and wow, so, so really? I always, that... yeah, I always get some some new poems from there. It, there are ebbs and flows. That right now we're in uh, we're in the period where Jim's writing a lot, and we're getting the poems, and we're just about uh, to a new a new book. He went earlier this summer. I was getting a bunch of poems from him, so I said, "Looks like we're close to a new book." He said, "Yep, I'd like to have another book before I die." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, can um, I can so. I add something just to <laughs> since we're talking about Jim Harrison? Just and it um, might sound like a plug, but uh, Copper Canyon uh, has started to do a new series called Copper Canyon Classics, right? <laughs> and the first book in the series is a older, uh, long sequential amazing beautiful poem by Harrison called Letters to Yasinin 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 and uh, it's um, out on the shelves and it's a uh, uh, beautiful uh, affordable and uh, and the poem is just absolutely stunning and worth running out today and buying maybe yeah. even at Shaman Drum yeah, Bookstore he, that's he, great he, uh, the, the story of that book is years ago he went uh, to uh to Russia with uh, the poet Dan Gerber, who you Dan can also, Gerber was on this yes, program. Know, he sends his love. Um, <laughs> and, Hi, Dan. <laughs> and um, and they they went to to Russia together, and uh, Jim had picked up a photo of Sergei Yasinin, the the beloved Russian poet who uh, killed himself, and he's um, and. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on radio or not, but he ended up killing himself in his last poem he wrote in his own blood. And and so a very dramatic, you know, Russian sort of occurrence. Demise. And yeah, um geez. and um Jim came back and he had this photo of Yasinin and was uh, dealing with some depression himself and some uh suicidal urges and he 